Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli. My co-host here, Dave Popowich. Happy post-Halloween. Did you recover? <laughs> Listen, it, it was a combined Halloween trick-or-treating, and my daughter wanted to have her birthday. It's not her actual birthday. It was a few weeks before that, but she wanted to have some friends over for a sleepover. So I had, um, how many, what, six 13-year-old girls on a sugar high for a sleepover. Can you top that? No. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you survived. Barely, man. I was just barely <laughs> hanging on. <laughs> you survived. Well, congratulations on survival. Yeah, thanks. That's 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 neat. It's good to see you here, buddy. Um, interesting week when it comes to the markets. Interesting some of the data points. Yep. We saw some earnings yep. reports, um, buyouts and mergers. Like it was a very fun week from my perspective because I saw so many different things happening yep. in this week. Um, closer and closer to the conversation about impeachment. Those different issues coming up. Yep. Um, but some improving economic data too. You know, it was um, it was an inter- it was a, an interesting week, uh, but not it was a decent week. Okay, I'm I'm actually going to see if we can stray a little bit from our normal conversation because I had a neat experience. Uh, whatever oh. it was, a week ago, I was at the Elton John concert. Well, that's right. You were at Elton John last week. I was I was yeah. doing this show by myself. Yeah, that show was much better than when you're on. By the yeah, way, yeah, I, I watched it. <laughs> I was a bit jealous. It was it was a good show. <laughs> Um, yeah. But you got to see Elton John. <clears throat> I did get to see Elton John. And, and, and there was something about that when you came back and you talked to me about yeah, it. Yeah, I was talking. Uh, listen, it was, I, I have to confess, I was not an Elton John fan growing up. Oh. Not that I didn't like his music. I just didn't pay much attention to sure. it. Um, it's grown on me as I've gotten older. Uh, I had a chance to see Rocket Man, uh, the, the movie. movie. Yep. And I, I got to tell you, it was, I found it really interesting. Uh, it was sad at the same time, but it was about his journey. And um, it, made, it made him as an individual more interesting, and it made his music more interesting to me. And then, of course, we had the, uh, the experience of seeing him live uh, in Toronto, 72 years old, three hours straight. You're just going, wow, this is pretty amazing. Um, but after, you know, after I was thinking about it, I mean, I came back and we, we were talking about it. Uh, putting all those things together, it was, it was interesting because during the, the concert, uh, unfortunately, his partner's mother, so his mother-in-law, passed away at 3 a.m. the morning before the concert. Wow. Okay? So he spoke about that, um, dedicated a song to it. Uh, at one point towards the end of the concert, he said, you know, this is, this is it for me. Uh, and, and he talked a lot about his experience as an entertainer and um, sort of the, the rush that he got off of the adulation and the cheering and the, you know, all of that stuff. And and, and he spoke very eloquently about that. And at the end of it, he said, you know what? And, and I appreciate that. I love all of you for all of that. But I'm done with that now. Mm-hmm. This is now about my family. Yeah. Right? It's about the kids that we're raising. And it was just kind of a cool, you know, I was sitting there thinking, it just it was a great way for me to experience what I experienced with Elton John. But it's relevant to what we talk about every day. Yeah. Right? It's it, this whole journey, uh, you know, he... If anybody knows anything about Elton John, you know that he's clearly made a lot of money through his career. Yeah. Uh, you know, at one point, what, one out of every 20 records sold in the world were one of his records at his peak. That's yeah. a lot of records he sold. Um, yet, he had a spending problem. 
You have a revenue problem. You had a spending problem. Yeah. He speaks about that openly, right? Openly. I have to spend money, and then I have to go back on tour again. I'm running out of money. Yeah. So it was every element. You know, as I was listening to, I was watching the movie, I was experiencing his music, I was listening to him speak. I'm, I'm walking through this entire process that we talk to clients about all the time on this grand scale that would be Elton John's yeah. life. And, and his problem with spending is typical. Now, of course, his spending is a lot different than <laughs> yeah. a lot of people's yeah. spending because yeah. now we're talking dollars versus. Yeah. But he ha he spends more than he makes. Right. And the, where he has the and people in the entertainment industry are fortunate because they can go back on tour to right. make more money. Right. If you have a spending problem right now, Dave, you can't really go make more money if you have a nine to five job. Well, I mean, if you've retired, right, that, that job may not be there for you. Yeah, El Elton John and performers like that clearly have the ability to ride on there and just go put a concert on. Correct. You know, when we're gone, when we sail off into the sunset, and most normal people, you don't just get to call up your employer again and say, hey, I'm just going to come back for a three-night show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is where a lot of people who are transitioning say, right. I'm going to just go back and do consulting. Like it's an automatic assumption that's right. going to happen, right? Right. And, and sometimes you have no choice. You have to go back. Right. You remember the story we have? Yep. We had we have a client who um, who's a dentist and has retired three times. Right, and fortunately, because of his skill set, he could go back, make more money, and then come back and retire. Mm -hmm. And then but realize, he had a health issue. Realize yeah. he spent too much money right. and went back, right. and then right. So those those now let me just finish that story because it's relevant to the Elton John story. But he had a health issue. That eventually prevented him from going back again. Correct. Unique skill set, but I can no longer do it. He had some issues with his hands. Elton John said the same thing. So he didn't say it in the tour, but the next day, due to some health issues, yep. under, uh, I, don't, I didn't see what they were. Or maybe he disclosed it. I don't know. Canceling tour. Right? So yep. even with a unique skill set, um, you can. there's other yeah. extenuating circumstances. Retirement can be pushed on you. Right. Because you can't. Right. So, so we have to remember that. And this is a very interesting period. If you look at anybody um, who's looked at or re researched more celebrities, popular people, athletes, and so forth, you know, you, you end up getting this quick money. Right. And then you end up spending it very fast. Right. Um, and it's very challenging. I think people who get pension payouts, severances, lottery wins, inheritances. Right. That's quick money. It's quick and, money. And they experience <laughs> similar things. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the journey for just a second again, uh, Faisal, because it left an impression on me when I watched the movie again. I went in not knowing very much about Elton John, his life, and, and so on and so forth, and I came out going, wow. Um, it reminds me, as an advisor, uh, the importance about um, the narrative, the lifestyle, the journey. How did you get here? Yeah. Right? We talk about that often, and, and it's important when we're talking to um, a client, a new client, uh, whatever the case may be, to understand how they got there, right? Yeah. No, nobody arrives at our desk, right, having been born that day with this amount of money at that age. They, yeah. There's a whole process that they've gone through to get here, and it shapes and influences the way they're going to think about money, relationships, what they're going to do in their in their lifetime. Uh, and, and I think in terms of the context, often when, when people get frustrated with things, sometimes they'll vent to us on whatever the case may be. It could be the election, or it could be a performance number, or it could be uh, a certain stock or company like Encana leaving. Who knows what the, what the issue is? But it's an interesting isolated event that when you dig in a little deeper, it often reveals this really big experience that people have had, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we talk about this, this idea of, 
of more than money, right? We named the show this 10 years ago because we recognized earlier this is about way more than money. Absolutely. It's about the experiences um, that got people to where they are today and then the experience that they choose to have, hopefully, uh, going forward, right? There are some people that, that don't choose and they just wander, and I'm not sure that's a good quality. But it was, it was really relevant. Like, I watched that movie, I think, um, in a different light and a different concept or a different way than I would have, you know, before being in this business. If I was 25 years old, wasn't in this business watching that, it would have been a very different experience for me. But I was just absolutely taken yeah. and fascinated with how hard his life was and the, the, the things that influenced and shaped his career that eventually influenced and shaped the, you know, where he was the day I saw him. And uh, with interest, I will follow to see what that looks like on a go-forward basis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very amazing journey he's yep. been through. And, and to, to say that if everybody could just document their story, yeah. you'd be surprised how amazing your own life is and what's contributed to how you've made your decisions or how you influence others or how it's been influencing yourself. Part of what we're doing here in this show and have since day one is try to raise awareness and education about all of these things, these lifestyle things, right? Yeah. So, so wealth is is only important in the context of what it does for you. Yeah, it's not uh, it's 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 not a means to itself. It's a means to an end. Right. Right. And, and a well defined end is an important piece of absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. And you you we talk about and you talk about regularly personal values. What's your value system? Right. Your value system should be taken into account. Yep. When you think about wealth, anyways, I could go on and on. It was, <laughs> it was a, it, it was a touching moment for me. I have to say, it was yeah. a really cool experience. Well beyond just the excellent music that he delivered. I love, I love what we do because we can see what happens in in the real world, and we can see how it impacts people. More importantly, how it, how we can learn from it and help our clients. Yeah. So I, I love that part. So good on you for bringing that story back home. Yeah, real good. Okay, um, listen, we're going to have to. Um, we got some cool stuff to talk about today, but uh, we should remind everybody that we want to talk about that journey, and we want to challenge you if you come to our seminar to think about your journey, what got you here, what your personal values are, and what that experience that you want going forward is going to look like, because that's the context that you need when we talk about the framework of how to plan for retirement. Yeah, and that framework and how to bulletproof your retirement through your lifestyle. Um, is going to be on Tuesday, November 19th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points, Sh Four Points Sheraton Hotel <laughs> in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. We are filling up fast, so you can register by phone or online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Dementia is a topic that we cover regularly, affecting a lot of people, including my family. Did you know that, that there's some new research that indicates pain, just good old-fashioned pain, may be one of the real problem points that's going undiagnosed, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We do a lot of uh, um, sort of health-related conversations and lots of conversations around dementia, so many people being affected by that. Yep. Worldwide, uh, you know, I can put my own family in that category, as we've often talked about. Uh, and there's so much research being done, Faisal. There's always new stuff coming up. And, you know, one of the things that um, I'm interested in, as my sort of mom is taking this journey, um, is, is about the, you know, the, not just the mental effects, but the physical effects. Yeah. And I think there's some, uh, certainly some new research to indicate that, uh, that there's, different kinds of diagnosis and, and maybe we don't understand the disease as well as we should and perhaps you know physical pain or we're understanding it more now than before yeah always more and more and is this issue of physical yeah. pain uh maybe uh playing a bigger role than perhaps we had 
anticipated in the past or understood in the past. And so we wanted to explore that a little bit. For sure. So we've got Dr. Thomas Hadji Stavropoulos, who's a PhD. Um, he's with the, well, he's actually the research chair in aging and health at the University of Regina. He's also a professor of psychology. Um, Dr. Thomas, welcome to the show, first of all. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Interested, uh, obviously, in, um, in this notion of improving the quality of life for people, clearly my family being affected by this, and uh, my mom's dementia, Alzheimer's, is progressing as it does. So, you know, a, sort of a personal connection here, but I want, I want you just to start at a high level. Tell us a little bit about the campaign, about this, this idea of improving the quality of life for people that are suffering from dementia. Um, well, people with dementia um, in the uh, moderate to advanced stages of the condition uh, are having limited ability to communicate subjective states such mm -hmm. as pain to, to caretakers. As a result, uh, pain tends to be uh, underassessed and undermanaged in this population, and many of these uh, patients end up suffering in silence. Uh, they sometimes become agitated uh, because they're not receiving the care they, they need for their pain, and caretakers cannot figure out what's wrong with them sometimes. So, so we have evidence-based methods to effectively measure and recognize pain in this in these uh, populations, but these methods are not being used widely. It takes 17 years for research findings to translate into cl clinical practice. So this 17-year period is not an acceptable state of affairs for people who suffer from dementia today and, and uh, given the solutions that are available today. So the campaign is about mobilizing that information using social media to get them to the hands of the people who need them now, the frontline health professionals, the family members who can advocate for better care. So that's that's an interesting pers uh, way of doing things because, like, like you said, it's taken it takes a long time to get into into practice, like seventeen years. So, what strategies or approaches are you guys using in the campaign to this grassroots movement to to get that message out? And and we're trying to do our part by helping on this show. But what else? What else are you guys doing uh, from a grassroots level to get the message out? So. Um on the International Day of Older Persons, which was October 1st, we launched a Twitter campaign using the hashtag uh, See Pain More Clearly. Uh, we also prepared a video, a two-minute video on YouTube that can easily be found on YouTube if you search See Pain More Clearly, uh, that, that is engaging. Uh, it shows using actors. Um, and, and a situation in a long-term care environment that involves pain, and then it gives the evidence base for assessing pain in that population in two minutes in an engaging, easy-to-understand way. So far, uh, our campaign, uh, I, I checked earlier this morning, had received 2,700,000 impressions on Twitter, representing approximately 1.5 million unique individuals from 12 countries around the world. So to do this with traditional knowledge mobilization methods, I think would have been impossible. Uh, but with social media, we, we seem to be having a much greater reach. Um, and also we had several media stories, including this one. Today I was contacted by uh, the Canadian Institute of Health Research, the prime funder of health research in Canada, and they want to do a feature story as well. So, so it has a huge impact already. In, in, in uh, one month. 
Dr. Thomas, are you aware of any um, program or basically a repository of people who are caregivers who can go to one location to get information? Because I, I love the fact that you're you're using social media. I love the fact that you have videos out there and that you've you've built this hashtag, and and it's it's spreading. And I love that. Uh, what I what I'm thinking, Dave. Now I'm, I'm asking you this too mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you take care of your mom, but you're at a different city than she is, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain resource that people go to mm-hmm. to kind of get this kind of information or just, you know, best practices, stuff like that? So so we we actually started in, in conjunction with this campaign, a website with resources. So the website is uh, www.cpainmoreclearly.org. Beautiful. In that website, we have a section that includes the resources for both health professionals and caregivers. And most of these resources are freely available. Uh, Dr. Thomas, can I ask how, how readily this is being taken up by the medical community? Um, well, we have the support of uh, scholarly organizations. Um, we haven't directly approached, uh, but we are planning to, uh, healthcare uh, associations, such as uh, you know the Canadian Medical Association, and so on. So, so I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I know that health professionals have been retweeting our information, but it is too early to, to tell uh, what what the uptake is with the medical community. We are planning to evaluate this campaign. So, uh, health professionals, for example, and others who watch our YouTube video have the opportunity to respond to a brief survey telling us, you know, whether they're planning to change their practices, whether they're planning to disseminate this information, and and that's how we'll know uh, the answer to that question. But right now, we don't we don't know for sure. Other than than uh, it's been very much welcomed by scholarly organizations who have been pushing the campaign, uh, and so on. As, as an advocate for my mom, um, on this on, on this site, the see pain more clearly, um, the evidence based. Is this something that I can take to her caregiver, her doctor, and say, "Listen, I want you know, I want you to do these tests to see if, in fact, she's experiencing pain." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, uh, in some of our research, we have shown that some of the checklists that we use to evaluate pain effectively in dementia can be used by lay people when they're working in conjunction with a health professional. So the health professionals will have to offer some guidance on when to use it and how to use it. But even a a lay caregiver, um, a family member, can potentially uh, facilitate the process. So, so yes, there are resources for, for health professionals there. There is information for health professionals. And in my experience, health professionals who are exposed to that information indicate that they're useful and that they're hoping to incorporate it in their practices. That's terrific. Um, Dr. Thomas, we can't do any more justice to this right now, but thank you for ways, raising awareness, continuing yeah. to raise awareness in this area. Clearly, it's a personal issue of mine that we're facing, but on behalf of everybody whose family has been touched by this, thanks for all your efforts. And thank you very much for helping spread the message. We've been joined by Dr. Thomas Hadji-Stravopoulos. Um, he is a professor of psychology and research chair in aging and health at the University of Regina. Um, I haven't looked at the site yet, Faisal. I have to tell you I'm going to. This is obviously a personal issue of mine. For sure. It saddens me to think that my mom might be experiencing pain and it's gone undiagnosed, right, yeah. because she can't clearly express it. That that's that makes me sad. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough to hear it and yeah. then 
tough realize that you didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Because the pain management is something we're so focused on, yeah. right? It's this is well understood stuff. So this is really this is great. I'm I'm happy we did this this segment. Uh, and for anybody whose family's touched by it, I think this will be important information uh, to stay on top of. Yeah, and 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 you know when you start talking about healthcare. Um, and these types of issues, this is one of the biggest concerns yep. people have as they transition to or live in retirement. Yep. One of the biggest concerns that they have uh, is when they're aging, when their health may change, um, not only the quality of care, but the cost of care. Yeah. And so we're going to address that. We're going to talk about how do you actually protect the costs of care in the future through a health care plan that we have. Discussing that as well as bulletproofing your retirement. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's going to be on Tuesday, November 19th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in, Cal- in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. They're filling up quickly, so please give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Are you concerned about the future of Canada? If you are, I challenge you to stick around because the next segment we're going to deal with that head on. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR. Excuse me, and more than money. Um, uh, Alberta, we feel this a little bit differently, but we've gone through a uh, we've gone through an election, and there's some you know a lot of people are really fired up about what's going on and what's the future of Canada hold and what does it look like. So this is a again like like you're mentioning that um, what crossed my desk is a, a report called the Cutting Room Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part three I have in my hand. Um, and it goes through, in my opinion, some of the biggest concerns, short-term, more importantly, long-term, that's mm-hmm. going to affect Canada. And this is the first time that we've had someone who's put it in a way that can actually be looked at to say, we better do something about it. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm, I'm, I, I feel the frustration. Yeah, oh, yeah. Of people in Absolutely. this country, yep. I feel the frustration, especially after the news is that we the, the recent news stories that we've heard in this province, and people are looking for a solution. I'm going to call it a quick win. Right. Um, there is no quick win in this. There's going to be a long process, and so I think hearing from from our guests today and about this report and what needs to be looked at is a starting point and where we can go from here to turn this province this country around okay okay tackle that i want to put that at that context because i think this i'm very passionate about this because there's too many people that we come across and we're talking successful people who've just lost their mojo Mm -hmm. have lost their Mm -hmm. their motivation their oomph in life because of what's happening around them yeah um and I want to. I want to see if we can we can shed some light, give some information, and then let's let's turn this thing around. Okay, let's try to make some do some justice on that. We've got uh, Peter Zion, who's a geopolitical strategist and an author. And Peter, if I'm correct, Disunited Nations should be available sometime towards the end of this year. Uh, first week of March. Oh, first week of March. Okay, terrific. Uh, first of all, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some time with us. Pleasure to be with you. Let's start at a very high level. I want to know how you see Canada's place in the world. <laughs> you want to start with the depressing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, well, Canada sees itself as a middle power who punches above its weight in foreign affairs because it can use a combination of wealth, insulation, and liberal ideology to do things that countries that are, how should we say, closer to flashpoints can't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has been very successful in that for 70 years now. But you've got to consider what changed 70 years ago that allowed Canada to play that role. And it was a change of heart in the United States. Uh, at the end of World War II, or near the end of World War II, the Americans were looking out at what the, the, the Red Army was doing as it was pillaging its way across Eastern Europe. And to be perfectly blunt, we were scared out of our minds because the, we knew there was no way that we could defeat the Soviets in a straight-up fight when we were in a different hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So we designed something that we now think of as globalization and the global order, and basically we paid everyone in the world to be on our side. We provided global security on the ocean so that everyone could trade safely, and we opened our market, the only one of size to survive the war, so that everyone could export their way back to affluence. We basically bribed up an alliance, and it worked great. And for Canada, who had had, how should we say, some uh, sibling squabbles with the Americans over the, the century previous, this was fantastic because it meant the United States was no longer an imperial power in its own backyard, and Canada, for the first time, could be an independent pole in international affairs. Well, that era is over. And not just because of Trump. We've been moving this way for 30 years in the United States. And if the United States is no longer making the global system safe for everyone, then Canada goes from, like, number 10 or 15 on the American list of countries to think about to number two, three, or four And that completely eliminates Canada's ability to be a middle power in the international system. It eliminates Canada's ability to participate in the international system. So Canada has gone from seeing the United States as one of many powers that it has interests with to really one of two. And it's not an issue of a failure of policy or personality or leadership. It's a change in the environment. Now, whether or not the current government of Canada is capable of adapting to that environment is a whole other topic. I would say that the policy creativity we've seen out of Canada in the last few years is not exactly what I would call mythic. Uh, But it's not the fault of the Trudeau government to this point. What happens after this point, of course, is an entirely different topic. So let's talk about that. One of the key things that you've you've mentioned at the beginning of your of your of your um, the cutting room files, it's titled "The Future of Canada," and and you talk about uh, demographics, and we are demographic viewers ourselves. We understand a lot, considering we deal with people who are transitioning to or living in retirement, and when they go through that, and, and we've seen the shifts in spending behavior so on and so forth but you're comparing the 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 demographic issues in canada not against the americans which we've Mm -hmm. been accustomed to Mm -hmm. but you're you're comparing it to mexico so shed some light for for our viewers and listeners about this about about what's the difference and why is mexico so important all of a sudden Sure. Uh, key thing to remember about the United States is we really only trade with about six countries. Mm-hmm. Canada, Mexico, Japan, Korea, the United Kingdom, and China. That's it. And by the end of, well, let's, let's say by the end of the first quarter of next year, the U.S. will have a revised trade deal with five of those six powers. Everybody but China. And there isn't going to be a deal with China. So the Americans are cutting China out of their lives 
and if you are Canada or Mexico, there's really only a one-stop shop because any trade that you have beyond North America is dependent upon American security involvement. And if the Americans are not involved in security affairs, you're really just down to North America. So this is the only market that matters for Canada, for Mexico, and for the most part for the United States. So you've got to look at the neighborhood. Now, Canada has this huge bulge in their demographic profile, lots and lots of people in their 50s and early 60s. Now, from a value-added point of view, from a technological point of view, this is perfect because it means Canadian workers have 20 and 30 years of experience under their belt. They know everything there is about their industry, but it has a couple of knock-on effects that are perhaps not so good. When you've got this super saturation in your labor market, it pushes down the cost of labor. That's one of the reasons why labor relations in Canada have been a little wonky of late. Uh, But it also means that the goods that you produce are below what we would consider the normal global cost for that product set. And Canada, therefore, has to get rid of them because they don't have enough 20 and 30-somethings to purchase them. So they have to go south of the border. That's about 80% of your trade portfolio is with the United States. Contrast that with Mexico. Mexico's population bulge is under the age of 40. A lot of people in their 20s and early 30s. So they don't have nearly the skill set that the Canadians have. They're much lower value added. They do more assembly. But they're the perfect complement for the American worker set that is more or less in the same block as Canada without the the labor distortion. So we're we're pretty good at design. We're pretty good at mid and high end stuff. And the trade back and forth between Mexico and the United States is very complementary. We do things that they're not good at and vice versa. But when you look at American-Canadian trade, it's no longer complementary. We're good at the same things, and so we compete head-to-head. And because of your labor structure, your skilled labor is a little bit cheaper than ours. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that turns the way American business leaders and American political leaders think about both countries. America no longer looks at Mexico as a competitor. We see it as the perfect partner, and that demographic structure is going to hold for at least the next 40 or 50 years. We look at Canada, and we see somebody who is competing with us unfairly and who's dumping products on our market. And we have now seen a complete change in how the American administration deals with both Canada and Mexico in just the last two years. You may have noticed that Trump's rhetoric against Mexico since election has changed from economic issues to cultural ones. Correct. And the rhetoric on Canada has started up bringing up some like ancient history like the War of 1812, <laughs> which, by the way, burning down our capital, not cool. Yeah. But anyway, uh, and for Canada, this could be a real problem because you don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me pause right there, Peter. I'd like to bring you back for another segment. Okay. Um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do that. Um, um, but we, before we let you go on the break, we have to talk about the seminar. This, some yeah. of these issues are are concerns, and how do you manage through your retirement yep. in your portfolio as you go uh, through retirement? How do you profit and protect, reduce risk, and understand where demographics and how the impact will be on your own retirement? We're gonna do that on Tuesday, November nineteenth, seven p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. Okay, so stick around after the break because we want to find out from Peter, what are the opportunities? If this, you know, that was depressing, Peter, how do we make this better? How are we going to compete? Stick around for that on 770 CHQR, More Than Money.
Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR. We're continuing our conversation with Peter Zion, who's a geopolitical strategist, and he's an author. And, there, you know, the cutting room files that you, we've been talking about really present some, some very serious challenges for Canada, given how the geopolitical environment has changed over the past 70 years. That's, you know, that's what we've been talking about. I want to know, how do, we, how do we compete? Not just Canada, but how does Alberta compete in this environment? Because we're feeling it very differently in And Alberta. there is two different conversations there. Yep. Canada as a whole, but Alberta may be different yep. than Canada. So let's kind of figure out what are a few things. So we have, we have Peter, Peter Zion. He's a geopolitical strategist and author. Uh, upcoming in the spring of 2020, a book will be called uh, Disunited Nations. You can pre-order, I believe, on Amazon and so forth. This is a very interesting take. I love these types of research, this type of reporting, and more importantly, this type of conversation. Peter, welcome back. Pleasure to be back. Okay. And, so, and you're absolutely right. There are two different conversations here because yeah. what would make Canada as a whole successful is very different from what would make Alberta successful. So let, let's start with Canada as a whole because sure. it's actually a simpler question. Uh with Canada aging into mass retirement, uh, you get to the point that the majority of your baby boomers hit mass retirement in the next three to five years, uh, which means that the outlay that the government is going to have to make into completely non-productive sectors is just going to be astronomical. Uh, it will flat out bankrupt you, uh, which means if you are going to survive this at all, you need to expand the way that you issue debt from both a corporate and a state point of view. And the only deep liquid pool is going to be in New York. So you need a much tighter, much more friendly ties to the United States than you have already. And you need to expand the tax base so that you can keep your educational system and your technological system as close to the cutting edge as is physically possible. Uh, it's going to be hard to do that except doing it hand in glove with the United States. And it's very expensive. So you are looking at a starkly higher tax take uh, from the folks who have not retired. And as the percentage of your population in retirement increases so dramatically, this is going to be very problematic for attracting investment. So you have to make sure you spend that money very effectively and change your regulatory structure in a way that compensates for the fact that the tax take is going to have to be higher. It's going to require some incredible coordination and hands-on work by your central government and your central government is going to have to become much more powerful versus the provinces uh, one of the problems canada has always had is it's a confederation not a federation the provinces have more power than the center and that is just not something that's going to work in the environment that you're about to be in so well, that's that's depressing. what you do if you're in Ottawa. Is it too early to start drinking? <laughs> yeah. well, no, man, it's five o'clock somewhere. You know the you know the deal. So okay. let's talk Alberta. You yeah. have in the prairies. Yep. The problem you have in the prairies is that Saskatchewan and Alberta are the only two provinces that do not have this demographic structure. Mm -hmm. Which means if you think that these two provinces have been bearing a disproportionate share of the tax burden to keep Canada running to this point, you have no idea what's around the corner. Well, that'll make everybody happy. You're, yeah, you're going to have to pay. Not only is Ontario now unable to pay Quebec to be in, in federation, Alberta and Saskatchewan are going to have to pay to keep Quebec in federation. Alberta and Saskatchewan are also have to, going to have to pay single-handedly for the mass retirement of most Canadians in the other provinces and for this infrastructure build-out and for this ex educational expansion. You are looking at nothing less than a Greek-style depression uh, that will knock at least 20 to 30% off of your headline GDP over the next decade. 
That's the mm-hmm. best case scenario. That's assuming that everything goes perfectly. And that assumes that nobody in the rest of Canada takes shots at your energy industry. Okay. So let's put you as king of uh, the king of Canada, and you can you can put some. You some, can fix this. You can fix this. What do you have to do? King of Canada. <laughs> yep. <laughs> let's you put you in charge. You're talking about a constitutional tweak that uh, vastly increases the power of the center versus the province, okay. uh, specifically so that Alberta and Saskatchewan can never have any say as to how this is done. Wow. That's not going to go over well, I suspect. Okay, and, and what can Alberta and Saskatchewan do for themselves, given this major issue that you're, you're, you're painting for us? I would say that the uh, traditional Canadian polite way to do this is to have your premiers go to Ottawa and plead their case for a renegotiation of the way transfer payments are handled. And I would argue that the premiers of Saskatchewan and Alberta did that earlier this year, and it failed utterly, because say what you will about Justin Trudeau. He can, he's good enough at math to realize that Canada cannot exist without these two provinces paying in at least the rate that they're paying in now. Uh, it's completely non-negotiable from the rest of Canada's point of view. They have to continue taking and taking more. And so, so the, the, uh, what, well, I want to ask what, what role immigration plays. Yeah, good point. Immigration is great, and it keeps your skill set up, and um, it makes Canada part of what it is. However, mm-hmm. the average age of your migrants are in their mid-40s, and so they never have enough time to pay into the system to pay for their own benefits. So from a financial point of view, it's a net loss, even if from an economic point of view, it's a net gain. So how so do we switch that? So what you're system. saying, we need, an, uh, we need to get in a younger demographic of immigration. So again, you're king of Canada. Right. Is there something that you're focused on to coordinate tax and immigration policy and everything else to, uh, to overcome this, this wave? I would say flat out no. Uh, the reason why the U.S. gets younger migrants simply is because you can walk to the United States from Mexico and Central America. Right. It's a much longer walk to Canada, and anyone else who's coming to Canada is coming by plane, which means that they're going to be richer, which means they're going to be older. Yeah, fair. Fair. We've got a few hurdles to overcome then. Wow. Okay, Peter, what advice do you have for anybody listening to this show? As a Canadian. Uh, what is an individual now? Yeah, what does an individual what do? They have to be, do? Be aware of? Again, it depends upon where you are. If you're in one of the provinces in Canada that is aging very rapidly, uh, you've got to give up your provincial proclivities if you want your country to survive in more or less its current form. Uh, and that means a, a almost American-style government. Uh, alternatively, if you're in one of those younger provinces, it is time to seriously consider what you want your economic future to be. Because if you are basically existing as a, a cash cow for the rest of Canada, everything that it makes you special and richer and more dynamic will go away in the next decade. Uh, and it's time to take a page from Quebec and consider leaving. There you have it. Okay, we're going to have to end it on that very, very challenging point. that will have people uh, yelling and screaming in their cars and thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, listen, Peter, thank you very much. We appreciate the work that you were doing. The, the Cutting Room Files was an interesting read. Uh, you prevented, you know, you've, you've presented some very compelling thoughts that people are, I think, going to be thinking about. I appreciate your time today. Glad I can help. I've been joined by Peter Zion. He's a geopolitical strategist. He's also an author. Uh, we've referenced this, uh, you know, the Cutting Room Files. He's also going to have a book out in uh, March, he said, uh, Disunited Nations, and it talks about, uh, you know, bigger, uh, more than just Canada, but Canada is certainly uh, a big part of it. 
Okay, my friend, so we've got that backdrop now. You know, with all this that's going on, potentially this Wexit, the separation, mm-hmm. taking a page out of the Quebec mm-hmm. playbook, um, demographics, um, we're younger on average in Alberta, all these things that keep on coming up, there's some concerns. So what do you do when you're transitioning to a terminal the next 10 years? There's problems coming, right. potentially. Right. And so what do you do? Right. The beautiful thing about how we set this up for our clients and our process is that what's happening in Canada from a investment management, wealth accumulation, right. income distribution, all these different things that concerns that people yep. have in retirement, our process and strategy helps them fight this problem. Right. So we would like to explain how to pro- how this process works. We really want to educate you to help you understand what you can do and how you can bulletproof your retirement. So we're going to do that on Tuesday, November 19th, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. This is filling up fast. So you can register by phone or online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to talking to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.